Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Jerry. For those of you who are Friday night regulars, I don't always get to come on Friday night. And uh, so Pastor Ron, who's uh, with uh, some of our other staff and key volunteers down at, as Charlie mentioned, the uh, Wild Islands Ministries Honolulu 2016 conference down at the convention center tonight, asked me to come and speak. He wanted to begin tonight uh, by looking at, uh, uh, as is, has been our custom, to look at our uh, topic, which is giving our resources, and uh, let's let's say the uh, quote below there together. Ready? Go. I give my resources to fulfill God's purposes. Did you know they have they, they have a lot of weird contests every year? Uh, it's interesting to me. I found an interesting one on the on on the internet, which is that they have the world's wackiest warning labels. Have you heard about that? These are some actual things uh, that, that have, have occurred in, on, on here, and I want, I want to look at it together. This is the title of my message, Your Money and Your Life, but let's, let's look at these warning labels uh, as we go into this. Here's, here's one that's very interesting. This is, it says, do not put any person in this washer. Okay, so somebody must have done that. Here's a very interesting one. Look at this. Caution, do not swallow. Now, now again... Look at the picture. It's like, don't, the guy's, there's a picture with a guy with a coat hanger in his throat. All right. Uh, let's go to the next. These are actual, by the way. These are not made up. This product moves when used. Skateboard wheels. All right. Let, how about the next one? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Look at it. It's like for Roto-Rooter stuff. And it says, if you cannot read, do not use this product. Okay, this is my personal, one of my personal favorites here, right here. It says, use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. This is for a dog. You can't make this up, you know. I, I, <laughs> here's some other ones that, that I found that just in the interest of time. There's one on one of those car sun shields. You know those car sun shields? It says this, do not drive with sun shield in place. Okay. <laughs> The infamous microwave oven, do not use for drying pets. You've heard that's that urban legend story about the poodle. In the, okay. All right. <laughs> An electric hand drill. It says, not intended for dental use. Okay. Household iron. This, I kid you not. Household iron. It says, do not iron clothes while wearing. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. Warning labels. Sometimes they're they're legitimate. Sometimes they're a little. It's like I, you know I, I can't figure that out. God's word though has some warnings for us tonight about money, and I want to talk about it because you know the Bible talks a lot about money. You know, if you uh, didn't know this, uh, sixteen out of the thirty-eight parables, meaning earthly stories with heavenly meaning, that Jesus told deal with money. I didn't know if you knew that. Here's, a, here's another interesting thing. More is said in the New Testament about money than heaven or hell combined. And while there are 500 verses on prayer in the Bible, there are over 2,000 that have to do with money. It seems pretty plain that um, money is an important issue for each one of us. And I think that's why that uh, this particular passage that we're going to look at tonight in Luke chapter 12, and if you have a Bible, 
want to encourage you to turn there. Luke chapter 12, beginning tonight in verse number 13. You know, money has always been a sensitive topic. Uh, I grew up, and, you know, you kind of didn't. I remember my parents kind of scolding me, you know, and telling me, don't ask questions about certain things, you know. It's kind of a private thing. You don't, you don't really talk about it that much. But, you know, if you think about it, money in and of itself is not moral, meaning it's not good or bad in and of itself. It's a tool. It's like a hammer. You can take a hammer and build a house with it. You can take a hammer and hurt somebody with it. Money in the similar way is a tool given to us by God. It's like a sharp knife. It can be, again, used for good or for evil. God wants to get us to get a handle on finances. He wants us to understand what they're for and what they're not for so that we can avoid making the kind of costly mistakes that sometimes go along with having it. So one of the questions that I think there's an obvious answer for is, do you want a rich and a fulfilling life? I think it would be fair to say that most of us do. In fact, most people do. Most people, especially in Honolulu, are willing to work very hard to make that possible. The trouble comes when our priorities get mixed up and uh, we get our values misplaced. You know, if you want to enjoy life if you, to the full, uh, we need to understand some things. So I've outlined three things that I've on, on the PowerPoint tonight uh, that you can take notes on and, and follow along with me. Here, here's the first point from, from this passage in Luke chapter 12. If possessions are your aim, your relationships are going to be shallow. In this passage in Luke chapter 12, uh, it's very interesting. Jesus had been teaching and doing various things, and all of a sudden, this man runs up to him and says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It was kind of a random statement. If you read before there, Jesus had been teaching about some other things, and all of a sudden, this person comes up to him. And ask this kind of an off-the-wall kind of a question. The problem was, he was so absorbed in what mattered to him that he really hadn't been listening much to Jesus, apparently. And so he just kind of interrupted. All that mattered to him was that he got his share of the money that he felt would make a difference for him and his family. But Jesus, in kind of typical fashion, wasn't going to get embroiled in the middle of some kind of a family feud. And so... As he did, he cut right to the chase, and he said this very interesting statement to him. Look at, the, look at this next slide. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I think it was fair to, it's fair to say that Jesus did care for this man and for his family. Jesus loved everybody. But he cared more about how greed might impact this guy and his closest family and friends. You know, greed is a very dangerous thing. In fact, some of the ancient Christians that lived hundreds, some thousands of years ago called it one of the seven deadly sins. Avarice is the old-fashioned word for it. But no matter where you go in life, no matter what country you go to, you're going to find people who were often driven by a relentless pursuit to have more, to get more, to possess more. 
Jesus felt so strongly about it that it's almost as if he was grabbing this guy and really us, kind of grabbing us by the shoulders and saying, listen, please listen. This is very important. I mean, if you look at a picture of, you know, little kids, you, ever, you know, it's like, how many dolls can this girl possibly play with? But no, what are one of the first words that little kids learn? Mine, okay? You know, have you seen that? <laughs> you know, it happens. But you know, it's not just the mere possession of things that I think is the problem. It's the obsession with them. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you can be greedy. It doesn't matter. Because materialism has much more to do with the attitude that we have than the amount that we possess. You know, we're, we live in a society that is saturated with a lust for more. I mean, this was a cover from U.S. News and World Report some years ago. Uh, you know, with Oprah and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, some of the, you know, uh, leading billionaires of the day, even still today. There are others, but these are kind of common ones in the United States that we're familiar with. You know, I think it's, why, why do they have things like this on, on magazines? And they have TV shows and other things, you know, that you can check out if you want. How do, how do these people live? This upper point zero 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 whatever percent of, 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 the, of society live. Why? Because I think people are intrigued with the lives of the super rich and famous. I wonder what it would be like to have what they have, to do what they do, you know? You see people, even today, you can go down the street every now and then, I'll see like a license plate frame. I like to look at license plate frames sometimes or bumper stickers on cars because I think it tells a lot about, you know, people's values. It's just kind of interesting to me. I saw one recently, a license plate frame said, millionaire in the making. Have you seen that one? You know? There was a t-shirt some years ago, or a slogan really, but it was on a t-shirt. It said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And then I saw another one. <laughs> it said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> kind of interesting. You know, TV promotes this. Uh, advertisements barrage us regularly. Um, the business world rewards those who make their mind up to buy into this, pun intended, okay, and give themselves wholly to have more this kind of trap of believing that we can have it all now and we actually need it all right now. The problem is, is that even as Christians, we don't always believe Jesus' words. We might say we do because after all it is the bible and jesus said it that the abundance of you know man's possessions isn't what makes a person's life up we say yeah yeah that's true but somehow on the inside that doesn't always that isn't always how it always works out the problem is is that we have this thing in our head that makes us think if I just had a little bit more. John D. Rockefeller, one of the first billionaires in the United States who lived and died a little over 100 years ago. John D. Rockefeller, in his older years, was interested in mentoring young men. And he had an opportunity, or excuse me, there was a young man that was an up-and-comer in the company, 
you know, made an appointment with Mr. Rockefeller. He wanted 30 minutes of his time, and he, boy, he just asked just all the right questions and was taking notes and, you know, how he could be successful and all these sort of things. And at the end, this is a true story, at the end he said, Mr. Rockefeller, I only have one more question. I know my time's up, but I just have one more question. I said, okay. He said, how much is enough? John D. answered him, and he said, just a little bit more. See, we get that in our head. We get that in our head, and we think, if I just had a little bit more, then I would be happy. Another problem with greed is that it's a deadly poison to relationships. You know, this guy in the story came up to Jesus, and he surely must have been thinking, hey, you know what, if I can just get my fair share of what's really due to me, if I can get my fair share, then my family will actually be better off. How many families have been destroyed by greed, though? Problem is, is when we go after that little bit more, whatever that is for you, when we go after that little bit more, we don't always factor in the true cost involved because sometimes there are hidden costs, things we don't see right at the time that emerge later on. You know, some people in an attempt to get ahead will live a super frugal life and, hey, I'm, I'm as frugal as they come, you know. I've got an actual button on my desk at work that says no. You know, people joke me. They say, Pastor Jerry, you know, can we get more money for the budget over here? And I just go, no, you know. You know, they tease me about this sort of thing. I'm very thrifty because, you know, there's not a lot of money to go around. We want to be thrifty and take care of it. But the problem is, is that we don't understand sometimes what the cost will be. Let's take for it. Let's just think for a minute. What if you could actually get all of the things that you had dreamed about, like you had won the lottery? You know, we don't have the lottery here, but let's say you did. Let's say you gained it and you got all of that money. Now, how many of you have actually heard of stories of people that have actually won the lottery and what it did to their lives? I'm just going to tell you two. You can Google this, and I mean, there's Tons of stories. This is a family. They're called the McGuerts of New York City. They won the Irish sweepstakes, and they were happy. The dad was a steam fitter, blue-collar guy. Uh, one of his sons, Johnny, was 26. He loaded cranes on docks. The other son, Tim, was going to night school. The dad said, hey, I'm going to split the million dollars with my two sons. And they all said the money wouldn't change their plan. Fast forward a year later. Money was gone. Boys weren't speaking to their dad. They weren't speaking to each other. The one guy was uh, chasing expensive racehorses. The other guy was chasing expensive girls. Um, the mother accused the husband of hiding his share from her. Within two years, this is a true story, all of them were in court for non-payment of income taxes. The mother said, it's the devil's own money. And she said, Instead of being in school, both boys were, as she put it, studying hard to become alcoholics. Sad. Here's the other story. A guy named Jack Whitaker. True story. Now get this. This guy, Jack Whitaker, he was from West Virginia. He won the lottery. 
in 2002, $314 million. This guy, now here's the interesting thing. This guy was already a millionaire when he won this. He had his own construction business, very successful guy, and was pretty, you know, very, very, not just in West Virginia, but a lot all, all around those, that, that kind of East Coast kind of an area. But at that time, he was 55, and he claimed that a four year, just four years later, he actually was broke. He's, he lost a daughter and a granddaughter to drug overdoses, which he blamed on, as he called it, the curse of the Powerball win in, a, in an interview that he did with ABC News. He said, my granddaughter is dead because of that money. You know, my wife had said that she wished she had torn that ticket up. Well, I wish I had torn that ticket up too. Then he commented, he said he was robbed of, get this, $545,000 in cash while he was sitting in a car in front of a strip club eight months after he got the money. After this was kind of said and done, he said, go to the next slide, it just shows him kind of later. You know, he was just standing there and he said, I just don't like myself anymore. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said. He said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? One of my questions is, what's really valuable to you? Because if relationships are, you better watch out for greed. Watch out. Second key point from this message tonight is this, that is, if, if pleasure is your goal, your deep longings won't be satisfied. Now, to illustrate this truth, Jesus told this man that had run up to him, he told him a story, and, and let's, let's look at it together. So the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, most of us are not farmers. Any farmers here? Okay. <laughs> not many of us. Not many of us are farmers anymore. So let's, let's translate it into modern language, shall we? Okay, the clients of a certain attorney were growing in number. The profits of a certain salesperson were higher than ever. The sales of a certain businessman were off the chart. See, this man had more success than he knew what to do with. He had struck it rich. He had... He, he'd, he'd made so much that he, he didn't know what to do with it. What a problem, right? So he assumed that if he just had bigger barns, that he'd be happy. His goal in reality, see, was pleasure. He was going to sock that, 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 that cash, that whatever, away so for a rainy day. Well, not really, because he said, I got plenty. He got plenty already. He already had barns. He said, I need more. He said, I'm going to sock that away so that I can just kick back, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever I want. 
problem is, is that whenever you have the more is better kind of philosophy, that, that never gets filled up. Here's a hard question. What would it take to make you happy? <laughs> Meaning, finish the sentence. I'll be happy if, and then fill in the blank. That's an interesting little exercise to do with yourself sometime. It's amazing how often our answers will go just straight to that just a little bit more kind of thinking. You know, if you drive through some of the more exclusive neighborhoods here in town, and you know where I'm talking about. You drive through there and you see the, you know, the beachfront estates with the pool, the tennis court, the four-car garage, the servants' quarters, the strolling lawn to the beach. You know, it's easy to drive by and think, man, whoever lives here must have it made. Some of you know, before I became a pastor many years ago, I was a tennis pro. Not the guys on TV who make all the money, by the way. <laughs> I was a tennis teaching pro. I taught tennis for my living for 10 years. And during that time, I actually had the opportunity to go to some of these very kinds of these kind of places. I, I went in. I knew the people. Some of them, you know, nice enough. But boy, they had a lot. This one man, his name was Bob. You don't know him. He's moved back to the mainland. This is a long time ago. I'd, I'd asked him, you know, because I was pretty young, and I just was curious, you know, how he made his money. And I, I said, how did you make, you know, how did you get to where you want? He was pretty, uh, I mean, he didn't just get right into all the details, but he just basically said to me, you know, he said, well, you know, I invested in shopping centers, plural. In the, on the mainland, and he said then, you know, he sold them and bought more and then more, and he said, you know, I got tired of the commute, so I thought, yeah, I'll just move to Hawaii, you know. The interesting thing is that this guy was never really happy. <laughs> you know, he would do okay in tennis, and I tried to help him and so forth, but it was interesting. He had these birds that would come during the winter, some of the ones that would migrate from Alaska, and they would come and they would land these beautiful palms that were right, evidently right next to kind of his, you can kind of picture, this is in his house, but it's kind of like that. But they would land there, and they would wake him up, and he said, you know, I decided it's time to put there. He was always complaining about something. It was just kind of fascinating to me. He had all the things. He had the Porsche. He had the Mercedes-Benz. He had the this. He had the that, and he wasn't happy. This kind of makes you think, how much would it take to make a person happy? See, trying to find satisfaction in possessions is sort of like trying to find the end of a rainbow, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you rush there. While it's still visible, but as soon as you get there, what happens? It's either gone or it moved. And, you know, that's the way it is when you're chasing after possessions in order to fill this emptiness on the inside. It's not going to happen. Now, look, God wants us to enjoy life. You know, I'm not a hater. I, I have an iPhone, you know. I mean, it's, I don't think that Jesus died to give us not only eternal life. He died, it says in John 10.10, 10, to give us abundant life. He wants us to enjoy our life. That's what he said. 
when you listen to those who have chased money and caught it, you realize that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Listen to another quote from the Bible. This is from Solomon, the son of King David, in his kind of one of his books that he wrote um, after uh, he was older. By the way, Solomon was so wealthy in his day. He was kind of the Bill Gates of his day, okay? You roll all those people, Oprah, Bill Gates, all those people up in one. That would have been Solomon for his day. It said that silver was so common that he said it was like rocks on the ground. That's what the Bible says. He was so rich. And this is what he said. He said, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Some of you won't recognize the picture of this next guy. That's Ross Perot. Now, some of you who are, you know, under 40 are going to go, who's Ross Perot? Okay. Well, Ross Perot ran. He wasn't the first billionaire, by the way, who ran for president. We have one right now who's running for president. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. But Ross Perot ran for president twice in 92 and 1996. Ross Perot was a very, well, actually still is, very, very, very wealthy man. Good businessman. But he was interviewed by Fortune magazine. And he quoted a comment made by them. This is what he said, very down-to-earth kind of guy. He said, guys, just remember, if you get real lucky and you make a lot of money and you go out there and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to (laughs) break. He said, you get the biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It has air conditioning. It's got a pool. Think of all the pumps that are going to go out. He said, or go to any yacht basin, any place in the world. Nobody is smiling, and I'll tell you why. Somebody broke, or something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave oven doesn't work. Things just don't mean happiness. Interesting, huh? These are all from people who got it. Interesting. This kind of leads into the third point in this message, which is this. If the present is your focus, your future will never be secure. Look, we all want a secure future. I I think that's fair to say. Things change so quickly in our our modern world. Things are so fast. Things change so quickly that most of us can barely keep track of where our paychecks are going to, you know? There's so many things that are going on. Everything is just quick, 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 constantly. Understanding investment options, boy, that's a tricky thing, you know? Have you ever looked at, you know, most of you, if you have like a retirement thing, have you ever looked at the options and tried to read that stuff? Now, some of you were like finance guys, see me afterward, I need help. But I'm just saying, you know, you read this stuff and you just go, who can understand this? And even if you did understand it, how would you know that if you invested in this fund versus this fund, that it's not going to crash and burn on the stock market three months from now? Who knows? It's complicated. Almost, if you think about it, the, the term secure future is, is an oxymoron. <laughs> Meaning, it's two things that doesn't go, don't usually go together. And I think as a result of that, a lot of people are not very confident of their future. But I do believe that God wants each of us to have a secure future. God wants that for us. And this is why he gave us 
the ability to plan. See, we're unlike other creatures. We, we have the privilege and responsibility to determine what kind of future we want to have. Now, again, some things are out of our control, but some things are within our control. But we usually choose between one of two options when it comes to our future. Things happen either by design or by default. In other words, some people fail to plan. They just don't. And their future is, ends up being determined by their habits, other people, uh, circumstances. Um, they end up feeling helpless because they feel like their future kind of happened, you know, it just happened by default, like, oh, well, I don't know. Other people plan their future. Instead of reacting to things that, that as they come, they choose to live their lives by design with a goal in mind. They, they know where they want to be. And, and a lot of people who excel in life uh, are good at this. They understand planning is huge. You have to take time to plan ahead. And, of course, it's possible to plan, but you can plan poorly or you can plan properly. You can, you can, you can make either way uh, uh, or you have that choice. Uh, uh, this guy in the story that Jesus was talking about, he planned all right. He just didn't plan very well. And I've met a few people in my life that have planned their lives down to the very last detail. Might be very successful in the world's eyes. They've achieved a lot of their goals as a result. Yet many of these same people end their lives in utter regret and really self-deception because they had the wrong goals. Look, look, at, look at what Jesus, at the end of this story, look at, look at what, what he said here. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. See, the main reason that this rich man was called a fool by God was because of the fact that he only planned with himself in mind. His focus was on his present life, about himself. His future would never be secure. Whenever we plan, we need to plan with the future in mind. We need to think ahead. And by the way, not just uh, for our future here and now. That's important. But how about after we pass away? I don't believe that this teaching of Jesus here in this section of verses that we've looked at tonight is saying that possessions are a curse. I think that that would be a mistake. That would be taking this to an extreme. And down through history, there have been some Christians who have come to the conclusion after reading passages like this of believing that, well, having less is actually better, and so they would do things like take a vow of poverty. Some uh, Bible scholars have called this the monastic error, meaning to just have nothing at all. And, and, and that, they feel, is better because 
then that makes you closer to God. But actually, that's not necessarily true. And if you've ever been broke, you know, then and broke, by the way, can be different to different people, you know, to broke to one person isn't broke to another. But if you've ever been like you've lost your job or something like that, well, I'll tell you, that doesn't I mean, that'll drive you to your knees, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that you're closer to God. In fact, to me, sometimes when you have that kind of thinking like, well, less is actually better. To me, that almost leads to like a false piety. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, a, like it's almost pr- a pride thing. But while possessions aren't a curse, I don't think that Jesus is saying here that possessions are the right of every Christian. As some so-called prosperity gospel churches would have it, you know, where like, okay, you, you know, the more you have, it actually means God is blessing you, okay? In fact, this, this guy in the story, the rich fool, he'd have been a prominent member at some at some. Uh, very uh, prominent churches in the United States today because why? He had lots. The problem with that kind of thinking on the other end of the spectrum when you're into this prosperity is better kind of a thing is that you end up living like a consumer life where uh, I just want to get more and more for myself and there's often that often leads to ignoring the poor, which is also in the wrong direction. Just in the other in the other way. I think what the balance between these two things, which both here and in other parts of the Bible saying, is that Jesus is teaching that possessions are a blessing. <laughs> There's something that God gives to us, but he also gives us with that privilege of getting those blessings, the responsibility of using them for his purposes. We're stewards. You know what a steward is? It's a manager. It's not an owner. Everything that we have comes from God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, don't forget it's the Lord who gives you the power, meaning the ability to earn wealth. He's the very one who gives you the brains and the drive and the this and the that and the experiences and the education and all those things so that you can learn how to make it and how to use it. We're stewards. In other words, it's not a sin to have wealth, but it is a sin to hoard it. Do you understand? You ever seen hoarders? Okay. I mean, it's like, is there a point at which too much is, you know, enough is enough? Yeah. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have that matters most to God. This is why the person who stores up treasures here for the present, but not in heaven for the future, is described by God as a fool. So as we bring this to a close tonight, I have a question for you. What kind of future are you planning for? How rich are you in eternal things? Meaning, how much treasure have you laid up in heaven? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve both God and mammon, which really is money. Maybe some of you tonight have realized, hey, (laughs) I've been climbing the wrong wall. Maybe you need to get it right with God again. You need to get your, okay, good. I'm glad that I came to church to get my priorities straightened out here tonight. You know, 
you have an opportunity, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of it tonight. But maybe someone is here tonight, and maybe you haven't really committed your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you've thought about it. You've heard about it. Maybe this a message like this has got you kind of like, I don't like this. These churches are trying, all they really want is your money, you know. But, but, but I want to say this, and this is important. Before you can have a secure future, you need to settle your past. The reason that sometimes we cling to money and hold on so tight is because we don't realize that God is the one who even provided that money to begin with. Some of you, again, need your sins forgiven. You need to have Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. You need to get your past settled so that your future can be secure. Now, all of you here tonight already know this, but I'm going to say this anyway. God doesn't need your money. <laughs> Scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need it. And furthermore, you can't buy your way into heaven. There's no possible way that's going to happen. You know why? Because as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. But you see, he paid that debt already. We, he paid a debt that we could never pay ourselves. So it's not that God wants you to give money and earn your way in. There's no way you can earn your way in. You need to receive his gift of eternal life. And I'm just going to pray in just a moment. If you want to receive that gift, I want you to bow your heart and pray with me right now. Dear God, we thank you for your word, a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And I thank you for this lesson tonight on possessions, money. Thank you for this story, even though it's a story that's been played out in so many people's lives who have chased the almighty dollar only to be frustrated in the end and lose so much. I pray for each person tonight, including myself, that we would have a better apprehension of the importance of using money wisely and avoiding greed at all costs. Now, while every head is bowed and eyes closed, if if you've come tonight and you've never committed yourself to Jesus and you want to receive his free gift of eternal life, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Pray with me right where you're seated, and Jesus will come into your life. Pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart. Dear God, thank you for coming to earth, for dying for me, for giving yourself so that I could become your child I ask your forgiveness for all of my mistakes, all my sins. I ask that you come into my life. I ask you to help me live for you, to be my leader, my Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to let me know. uh, And uh, we want to encourage you in your decision for Christ.